morning. Uh, Today's Bible reading is from uh, Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 18. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everybody. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that has happened They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and, the, and that you, in turn, read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Thank you, Robert. So the reading is on your leaflet in case you and what's that. Keep that in front of you. You know, if you ever do have to read out a bunch of names like that, the Bible's written in ancient Greek and ancient Hebrew, which nobody speaks anymore, so you can say it how you like, and nobody will know if you're right or wrong. So. so I wonder if there's topics in life that when someone raises them with you, you immediately just want to get out of there because you feel, well, I'm just a bit rubbish in that area. So the one that does it for me is hobbies. And people say, what do you do for fun? What are your hobbies? Because I, I just feel like I'm such a boring person, really, you know. I mean, the best I can do is say, I follow Manchester City. <laughs> Thanks, Hank. I've got a pellet smoker barbecue that I'm kind of getting into. And Sharon and I watch Korean dramas together. It's not very exciting. I don't think anyone's going to make a groundbreaking documentary about me. Uh, uh, meanwhile, this week, I've been, I've been away on the um, intensive thing, growing us as leaders of churches, um, staying with other pastors. I shared, a, I shared in a, a room with two other pastors. They, were got, they had interests. They got up for a run at 6 a.m. every morning, every morning that we were there. And on the last day, they went for a run and a swim. I mean, come on. I mean, I, I went for an almond croissant and a coffee. But I reckon there are three topics that, when raised, make every Christian go, oh, 
I'm a bit, I could do better in that area. Prayer, sharing Jesus, our evangelism, and our heart for God's mission around the world. Prayer, sharing Jesus, and God's mission around the world. All of us make, all, I reckon most Christians, when you hear those things raised, you go, oh, yeah, I could be doing better in that. And this last chapter of Colossians raises all three for us, all at the same time. But don't worry, it's going to help us with all three as well. So just where we're up to, the Apostle Paul's written this letter to the church at Colossae to encourage them to stick with Jesus. Some Christians have come along starting telling them they need something more than Jesus to be proper, you know, really good ninja Christians. That kind of thing we'll keep hearing throughout our life as well. You need something more than Jesus to be properly right with God. But Paul says what we need to keep growing, keep maturing, being more like Jesus, is to stay where we are, trusting in Jesus Because in him, we already have everything we need. And we're so closely bonded to Jesus, so one with him, that his story is now our story. And so in light of that, we're to keep looking up. So these are our key verses for this series and for this year. Colossians 3, 1 to 4. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. This is what we keep looking up to. And we've been, how, been looking at how this is our source, our motivation, our reason for the way we live our lives now. So there's an outline in your leaflet. Here's where we're heading. Looking up in prayer, looking up in conversation, and looking up together. So let's first of all look up, looking up in prayer. Looking up, fixing our hearts and our minds on all that we have and all that we will have in Christ. That shapes the way that we pray. Verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. So devote, give yourselves over to, get yourself organized so that you can be praying. Pray without being distracted. Uh, We're given an example of this in chapter 4, verse 12 with Epaphras. So he's a Colossian guy. He's the one that first brought them the gospel when he heard it in Ephesus. Uh, 4, verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greeting He's always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Wrestling, struggling, uh, struggling, wrestling there means struggling. Prayer can be hard, it can be a struggle. Some of us get together at 6.30am on a Tuesday morning, which might be natural for some people, But for some of us, it's a bit of a struggle, yeah? But we struggle in prayer, and it's worthwhile doing. And blokes, you're welcome to join us in that, just on Zoom. Prayer can be hard. That's why it needs devotion, purposeful about it. But let's assume we do get devoted in prayer, get disciplined about that. What kind of prayers shall we pray? We should pray being watchful and thankful 
prayers fueled by knowing what God has done, is doing, and will do. Prayers arising from thankfulness. So let's take those, watchful and thankful. First, watchful. Usually in the New Testament, when it says watchful, what it's talking about is looking forward to Jesus' return. So Jesus coming back in glory. And yet we saw in our key verses, didn't we, that our status of our spiritual status of being in heaven now, somehow, of being in Je- with Jesus in glory when he returns, they're kind of all wrapped up together in what we're looking up to. So praying being watchful means praying in light of what God has already done in Jesus, our present status as hidden in Christ, and looking forward to what he will do in the future. So praying with that as our context, if you like. And when we have that heavenly looking up perspective, that shapes and forms what we pay attention to and so what we prioritize in prayer. Uh, There was a pastor last week told us the story. um, He was on one of these regional flights, you know, the planes with propellers still. Twin propeller plane flying over a mountain range. And there'd been the safety briefing that you always got in every flight and you usually ignore. And he didn't remember paying attention. But mid-flight, with nowhere obvious to land, the right propeller slowed down. There was a big bang. The propeller slowed down and ground to a halt. So the captain came over the tannoy. So don't worry, we can fly safely on one engine. Just got to work out if it's best to turn back or carry on to the destination. But of course, the protocol meant that the cabin crew did the safety briefing again. And you can bet you that cabin crew did that presentation much more intently and every single passenger had their eyes trans- and ears transfixed. Why? Well, because the briefing was now immediately relevant to their, what, their situation, not, not in theory. Well, when we're clear on what is actually going on for us right now, our spiritual reality of being in Christ of God gathering a people to himself into his family for his glory. If we're aware of what's really going on, we'll pay attention to and pray about things to do with that, about people becoming Christians, about people being ready for Jesus' return, about things of eternal significance. Second, we pray being thankful so pray being watchful, pray being thankful. And thankfulness is a big, big theme in this letter, especially chapter 3. Go back today and read chapter 3 again. So being thankful in prayer. So it's not that when we pray, uh, we have to never get around to asking God for things because we have to butter him up first, you know, with lots of thanks. It is good to thank God in prayer, but make sure you get around to asking him for things as well. But rather... If we keep our hearts and minds fixed on Jesus and our identity in him, we'll have thankful hearts, confident in his authority over absolutely everything. So giving thanks helps us keep our hearts on God, helps us appreciate uh, what we've already got. Thankfulness says, Lord, I see what you've already done, already made true for us. Please help us in our mission to draw more people to yourself so they know that as well. Thankfulness says, in light of looking forward to the glory we'll enjoy at your return, 
We pray for everything we do to glorify you now, as all heaven and earth will do one day. And being thankful like that will lead us to praying about things God really cares about and will move us away from unnecessarily worrying about things. So a practical example of this then. All right. Don't like talking about myself, but here we go. Uh, if, you, if I could have guaranteed one Sunday that I were definitely going to be able to attend here this year, it would have been that Sunday with all the Woodcroft College students. Wonderful time. But I got COVID, so I couldn't come. So what do I pray? Well, I pray for miraculous healing and a negative rat test by the Friday or Saturday so that I could attend. But being thankful that God is sovereign, that he cares more about those students than I do, I pray that he defeats any plans of the enemy to stuff things up. Being thankful that we are all in Christ, um, that I'm saved into a community, not a panel of experts, I pray that my not being here that day is actually helpful in the long term, helps us as a community take responsibility for mission to the lost. Paul models this kind of prayer for us as well in verse 3. I mean, he's in prison. If your primary job is an evangelist taking the message out and your situation is stuck in prison, that could be discouraging, couldn't it? But he hasn't given up on what he was there for in the first place, taking this message out. He prays for God to do his part, open a door, both probably both literally and figuratively. He prays for God to do his part, opening a door, so that they, Paul and his ministry team, can do their part, sharing the good news message of Christ. The fancy word, theological word for that is compatibilism compatibilism so that means without ever saying god needs us um, acknowledging that all the glory goes to god he is sovereign nothing happens outside his control and yet within that framework what we do has got something to do with the way he works sovereignly so there's an example of this in acts 14 verse 1 at Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. Now listen to this. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. So does that mean, it's a bit of a head scratcher, right? does that mean if, they, if they'd had an off day, there'd have been less Jews and Greeks come to belief? What's clear is none of that is a surprise to God. God knew exactly how many would be uh, come to belief through their preaching. But how, what they did didn't have nothing to do with it, did it? You spend the rest of your life getting your head around that one. That's compatibilism. Verse 4, we pray, uh, he asked them to pray that we proclaim clearly. So the gospel is a message. We do back it up with the way that we live, but in the end it's words, it's a message. And if we aren't clear, the message won't get across. We need God's help in opening doors, and when they are opened, we need God's help giving the good news message about Jesus clearly. So be devoted, be watchful, be thankful in prayer.
Next, looking up in conversation. Paul turns from talking about his part in the mission to talking about how the Colossians can be part of it. So verses 5 and 6. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So verse 5 there, make the most of every opportunity. Literally, redeem the time. Buy the time back and do something good with it. And so from the rest of the letter, we know what's a waste of time. A waste of time is pursuing extra requirements for salvation added on by humans. So the call is to be wise in the way we act towards outsiders. See, our mission together is not to go and tell the world off, scolding them for not behaving properly. That's not our mission. Our mission is not to go and tell them off for not being like we'd like them to be. But rather, we're to be wise in the way we act towards people who aren't yet trusting in Jesus. We're to adapt to where they're at. We do this all the time, don't we? We adapt our communication and how we present depending on the context. Maybe this is a generational thing, but my grandma, uh, working class family, accent like mine, but when she went on the phone, hello, Priscilla talking, you know, she would put on this posh voice, like Mrs. Bouquet. I've, um, I've learned to adapt my communication so that you colonials can understand me. So now I'll quite happily say bottle of water with D's, whereas the proper way to say it is ignore the T's and say bottle of water. I've learned that average means bad, ordinary means terrible, and original means weird. I've adapted, and it's wise to adapt or else nobody will understand me. We need to be wise to the fact that for us who follow Jesus, he's no mystery to us. We've heard the good news message and responded in faith. So Jesus is no mystery, but we need to be wise to the fact that he's still a mystery to those who haven't, a mystery they desperately need help solving. We need to be wise to the fact that everyone in the world's most desperate need is to be rescued into right relationship with God through Jesus. And so make the most of every opportunity to share the good news message about him. But we're to do this with conversations, verse 6, that are full of grace, full of grace. Wise to the fact that we know grace, that we're in Christ He's got all authority over heaven and earth. We're in Christ. Uh, He's got the fullness of God, all things made through him and for him. So we don't need to be scared. We can talk about him with a steely but humble confidence. As if it's good news we're sharing, because it is good news. Not patronizing, but full of grace, gentle, respectful. Full of grace. So a conversation about Jesus is not trying to win an argument. It's trying to win a person to Christ. Not trying to win an argument. You're trying to win a person. So a conversation about Jesus full of grace is not about getting back at wrong things said. It's not about winning every point of the argument. Talking about grace requires us to talk with grace. Letting things go. 
not demanding our rights, not insisting on winning every point, but rather coming from the perspective of, you know, I had Jesus all wrong. And God in his kindness helped me to hear about Jesus and understand and respond in faith. And I just love the same for you. Conversations from that perspective. Verse 6 again, our conversations should be salty. Salty, so not bland. But speaking in a way that prompts, just right in that edge of the conversation to prompt and try and turn it towards Jesus. I mean, people say there's a general maxim, isn't there? You can't talk about religion or politics. Ooh, a load of rubbish, who says? Of course you can. You can talk, don't leave the politics, but talk, talk about Jesus. It, it's like, that's like saying you can't put seasoning in food. Of course you can. Now, you don't want to be overwhelming. You know, like if you have a Domino's pizza, you just felt like you're eating a, a disc of fat and salt, and then you spend the rest of the night trying to wash away the saltiness. So if you overwhelm someone with your salty conversation, they'll try and get rid of it. But be tasty, interesting, leading them to want to come back for some more. Being mindful of who you're talking about, so just the right amount of salt at the right time, sensitive to the kind of answer people need. Knowing how much, in life, you know, in the kitchen, knowing how much salt to add to a dish means learning to cook, doesn't it? Adding salt to conversation means learning to be able to share our faith. But be encouraged, just in being an easy person to talk to, you can help point people to Jesus. Don't feel like you've got to download a whole gospel outline. People love stories, don't they? That's why podcasts are so popular. People love stories, and you've got a story. And you know your own story. In fact, you're the world's expert on your story. So just tell your story. Give Jesus a mention. Pray. And see where it goes. But often it's a bit more hostile than that, isn't it? So what if you are asked sort of, people often ask difficult, goading questions. Trying to catch you out, gotcha. What do we do when that happens? Well, from this passage, we know we don't let it, we don't hide. We seize the opportunity, all right? Redeem the time, make the most of it. Don't get angry. Don't try to win. Allow yourself to be the, the social loser in this situation. But looking up, uh, I remember who I am. I remember grace. And give an answer from that heavenly perspective. You might not be the best evangelist in the world, but you can have a conversation. And just think about it. Think about who we are in this person's life. People will generally have bland conversations without this salt for most of their living existence. Every day, bland conversations without this salt. You're probably one of the only people, if not the only person in their life, who knows what good news this is and can season the conversation with it. Don't leave them missing out. 
So that's looking up in conversation. Lastly, looking up together. This letter to the Colossians is, in a sense, always zoomed out. It's a, it's a letter to a people, not a person. And we saw it's not just for the Colossians, even. They want it, he wants it read at Laodicea, around that region. And as we look up to things of heaven, we see that we're in Christ together. We're putting on clothing that goes with that identity so that we all stay in unity together. You know, we're in this together. We're saved into a community. And this truth is reflected in how Paul finishes this letter. It's full of greetings. It feels When I read it, it feels like Paul's on a video, a Zoom video call, right? And he's, he's trying to say his piece. And there's people keep popping in the background. You know, saying hello, getting in on the, sending their greetings. That kind of vibe. Uh, so get that vibe, get that gist. When we, it's easy to skip over these greeting sections at the end of letters, isn't it? But if you get the, read it as a whole, you really get the impression of a joyful international community. A bunch of very different people in different places with a common identity and a common goal that makes them read like a close-knit family. I've been away this week um, for some training, some leadership training, and really excellent content. But really the real highlight of the thing is hanging out with 15 other blokes in roughly the same boat, all with a heart to see healthy churches reaching the millions of lost Australians. Different people with a common identity. But let's meet some of them that Paul's on about. So Paul didn't just send a letter by post. He sent it with his co-worker, Tychicus, the same bloke who delivered the letter to the Ephesians and did important errands to Paul. So Tychicus might not have planted churches. He might not have written letters that we've got in the Bible. But he's such an important part of Paul's mission, he calls him, Paul calls him dear brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. Our life together as church, we're, we're part of a body, a whole ecosystem, all with our part to play. Excuse me. He also sends uh, Onesimus, or Onesimus. He's a Colossian himself. He's also the slave. He's the slave that gets mentioned in Philemon, if you read that. There are greetings from Aristarchus in prison with Paul, along with Mark and Justus. Justus. Um, he mentions there them being Jewish a comfort. That's because... Um, there was a good chunk of Jewish people who were really against, conspired against Paul taking the gospel to the Gentiles. That's why he mentions they're Jewish. Epaphras, we've mentioned already, he's got a heart for the local churches in the area. There's Luke, the gospel writer, who's often accompanied Paul. And there's Demas, who sadly ends up abandoning Paul, we find out, in 2 Timothy. And Paul's final instructions are to greet the local churches and make sure this teaching is widely circulated. So all up, you get this sense of real people with real caring relationships, all, all driven by their knowing their identity in Christ. But they're not satisfied with just leaving it as being a cosy club of like-minded mutual support. They're all partnering together to make sure the true gospel message about Jesus is spread as far and wide as they can make, take it, and to ensure believers stay rooted and built up in Christ. 
See, Paul seems to go out of his way at the end of this letter to help the Colossians see they're part of something bigger, something international. You know, usually people ask me what I do for a living. You say I'm a pastor. Quite often stops the conversation in its tracks. Uh, Evangelist J. John, um, when people asked him, he would sometimes say, I work for a large global organization with branches in every main town and city in the world. See, the Colossians don't need to go and find something bigger and better. Christ and the church he is building is plenty. So how does this impact us? Who do we partner with? Next Sunday, as I said, we've got John Warner from Bush Church Aid. He'll be helping us lift our sights to our brothers and sisters in Christ in regional and remote Australia. Please keep the Purdy family, they're working with Church Mission Society, in, they're currently in Argentina, trying to, waiting for visas to get back to Chile. So please pray that those come through. Uh, and we'll hear more about the work of CMS from Mark Peterson um, on the 14th of May, at CMS Sunday then. Then a couple of weeks after Easter, on the 23rd of April, David Hilliard is back for another Compassion Sunday, sharing about their work releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. More locally, we've got links with evangelical students at Flinders Uni, helping people meet Jesus at uni, and with Bible College of South Australia, equipping the next generation of gospel workers. They've got an open night on the 17th of May. That's who we partner with. Now, notice they say we partner, not just support. We partner. This is a very horizontal relationship. Because this isn't just us encouraging them. We're encouraged when we meaningfully know what God is doing in and through our brothers and sisters outside our immediate sphere of influence. We're part of something bigger. All of us together are key partners in what God is doing in the world now. Now, I don't know what Archippus, in verse, I think he's my patron saint, he's left something undone. He's got something to complete. I don't know what he's left undone, but what would the Apostle Paul say to us at Trinity Church Woolcroft? about every one of our ministry to each other, to our friends and colleagues and family, to our local area, and to our local and global partners. What would Paul say to us to get finished? I think he'd tell us to keep growing as Christians. In order to keep growing as Christians, stick with Jesus. Don't move on from him. He'd tell us to keep looking up. To things of heaven. So we know that our primary identity, we know that who we are at the deepest level, who we really, really are, is in Christ. He'd tell us to keep being thankful for all that we already have and will have in Him. And for that thankfulness to drive us in chucking off the old, putting on the new, clothes that suit us now. And He'd tell us to pray with that, all of that in mind making the most of the time we have by being ready to share Jesus. And he tells us in all of this, we're not alone. We're more profoundly joined to each other and Christians around the world, more profoundly joined than we are separated.
And what's the last word of Colossians? Grace be with you. Grace, God's undeserved gift of salvation. Because we'll get this wrong, won't we? We'll turn our hearts and minds to earthly things on occasion. We'll sometimes have conflicts between believers. We'll sometimes wonder if we're really saved. But grace means we are always, always hidden in Christ, forgiven, welcomed in, belonging in God's family, destined for glory. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Since you have been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for who we are in Christ. Thank you for this time in Colossians. And I pray that the fruit of it will be in each and every one of us, that we remain rooted in Christ, built up in him, and that we keep looking up to things of heaven, not on earthly things. They help us to put on the clothes that go with our identity in Christ. And we do pray for our partners in Australia and around the world. I especially want to pray for the Purdies and their in need of a visa to get back to Chile. Please be at work and whoever's got the rubber stamp and have them rubber stamp it. Amen.